Hey, happy Easter, or many people across history have called it Resurrection Day. Uh, It is an exciting, exciting day. I'm Pastor Evan. Thanks for being here and spending your Easter with us. Uh, If you have your Bibles, we're going to be in Mark chapter 16 today. If you do not have a Bible on your way out on the table, there are some Bibles out there. We would love for you to take one and have one of your own, and that's our gift to you. So please take that one. Just We only ask that you don't take the ones in the pews. That would be my request. Uh, as you notice, um, Easter is an important day. created some reverberations across the world in all time, and apparently it also made some reverberations on our stage. So things are a little bit mixed up. There's uh, This stuff is usually up here, and now it's down there, but Third Reformed has a, a choir thing going on at their service, so they uh, need these risers. So this is where we're at, but this is a little different, and we'll keep things loose, all right? Cool. My wife Amanda and I have recently gotten into MTV's Catfish. Now, I am not by any means, there's not like a wholesale approval of that show. If you're a teenager, ask your parents if you're going to watch that show. But if you don't know the show, two friends named Neve and Max started to help people learn the truth about the person they're in an online relationship with because people end up becoming suspicious that they're being lied to. And there's usually these clues along the way that the person you've been interacting with online isn't really who they are. So, for instance, true story, if you think that you're talking to the rapper Bow Wow or a, somebody who's a model and they message you about how much they want to be with you, but they always find excuses for why they can't video chat. Like, oh, I don't really have the capability. Oh, my internet connection's always bad. Or we tried, but for some reason you couldn't see me. Or they, don't really ha- they always have excuses for why they can't meet you in person. You're probably being catfished. But the astounding thing, what I really enjoy about that show is it actually reveals to us the desire in all of us to find the truth. Like, we want to know the truth about things. We want to know the truth about people. And our goal today is to talk about the truth that we want to find out. Is the empty tomb true? Is the resurrection of Jesus true? And not just is it true in the past. Is it true now? And is it true forever? And how so? So what I want to talk to us today about is how Jesus' resurrection changes our assumptions about the events of the past, our lives in the present, and the future of our world. So the title of the sermon is, The Empty Tomb, Yesterday, Today, and Forever. So let's jump in. We're going to jump into Mark chapter 16, verses 1 through 6. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so they might go and anoint him. And very, very early on, the first day of the week, that's Sunday, When the sun had risen, they went to the tomb, and they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back, and it was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe. That's an angel. And they were alarmed. And he said to them, Do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He is risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. Jesus' resurrection changes our assumptions about the past. On the screen, you'll see a picture of a tomb from the first century Palestine. 
And this is what a typical tomb would look like. The tombs were typically cut into a cliff or a rock and would usually hold multiple bodies. There's some tombs that they found that held up to a dozen bodies. They weren't necessarily piled on top of each other. Don't think about it like that. But what they would do is they would wrap up a dead person in cloth. And sometimes they would put them into these long, narrow holes, like torpedo style into these holes. So that's what those holes are in the back of the tomb there, right? They would put them in that way. But for important people, what they would do is they would lay them horizontally across a bench, which you kind of see to the left of the picture. And in the front of those holes, there's kind of like this bench area. They would lay important people on those. And that's probably where Jesus was laid. Because in other passages, in other gospels, um, this is for free. But uh, Peter sees Jesus' cloth. Like he probably wouldn't see the cloth if it was like torpedo styled into that hole, right? And then what they would do is they would cover the entrance with a stone. And usually the stone was square or a rectangle. But the stone in Jesus' tomb, at Jesus' tomb, was round, right? Because they're asking, how can we roll this stone away? You can't roll a square or a rectangle. Maybe you could, but it'd be really hard. And so what would happen is loved ones would immediately visit the tomb. And they would anoint the body with spices to help the smell as the body decayed. I know you didn't come here for this, but that's basically what they did. And then what would happen is a year later, they would come back and they would collect the bones and they would put them in a box called ossuary. So we see the women in Mark 16 going to anoint Jesus' body with spices. Now, Jesus died on Friday. So actually by... The way things work, scientifically, by sun- and they knew this in ancient days, by Sunday, two days later, it was already too late to start annoying the body. It already had started to decay. Now, Mark's original readers would have caught this irony, and we probably don't see it ourselves. The women, this is what he wants us to see. The women are too late to anoint Jesus, not because his body started to decay, but because it's no longer there. He's kind of playing around here. He's saying, hey, you notice, right? They're going too late. The reason why they're going too late is Jesus has risen. He's not there. So despite the fact that Jesus had claimed he'd rise from the dead, like in Mark chapter 8, the reality of the situation seemed to prove that Jesus wasn't who he said he was. He wasn't the Jewish Messiah or the anointed one. He was dead. And the way it just worked back then is a dead Messiah is a failed Messiah. So in their minds, Jesus failed, he's dead. Now, many people today will make the claim that Jesus wasn't who he said he was and that uh, they don't believe that he rose from dead. And maybe that's you. And if that's you, listen, you're in good company because his disciples didn't even believe he rose from the dead initially. They eventually came to that conclusion. But i like to show you how you can know that the story is true by addressing some of the claims people today make against his, Jesus' resurrection, and then offer some counter-arguments for why you can know this is true. One claim people usually make is that Jesus' followers made this story up. They made it up. Never happened. They made it up. But honestly, and in all truthfulness, that can't be the case. Because the first people at the tomb are women. Now, young people, teenagers, listen, in the first century, a woman's testimony was worthless. Worthless. Like you couldn't even call a woman up in court 
because it would be just thrown out. They'd be like, oh, okay, yeah, well, you know, I, I don't need to give you any conclusions or say anything about women here that might get me in trouble later, but this is kind of what the idea was, right? They had these kind of these views. So if in the first century, if a woman's testimony is worthless, why is it that in every story of Jesus' resurrection in the Bible, the first witnesses are always women? So if you're making this story up, think about this. If you're making this story up in the first century, you wouldn't use the testimonies of women. You'd use like John or James or Peter as the first people to see Jesus resurrected. And they would be the first one. But the fact that it's women who find Jesus' empty tomb helps prove that the story is authentic. Another claim people make is that back in the day, people believe this sort of thing. People believe back in the day that people rose from the dead, but we know today that people don't rise from the dead. And honestly, that's chronological snobbery because people back then knew what we know. Dead people are dead. They don't rise from the dead. So ancient people believed in things like ghosts and spirits and even hallucinations, and they had language like that. And um, my wife Amanda and I, we got back from New Orleans not that long ago, and people in New Orleans seem to believe in ghosts and spirits and hallucinations too. So it's not just like it's all gone in the past, but they believed in stuff like that. They had language for stuff like that, but they could tell the difference between when they thought they saw a ghost and when they actually saw somebody who's alive, just like you could. And what the New Testament says is we, we've hugged Jesus. Like you can't hug a ghost, right? I've never met a ghost, but that's my assumption. So ancient, believe, ancient people believe what we believe. Dead people are dead. So something different happened on that Sunday morning. And the third claim that people usually make is that Jesus' followers claimed he rose from the dead because they had to continue his movement. But here's the deal. Other people in ancient times claimed to be the Messiah. And they all died. And when they died, their followers just appointed another leader to continue the movement. It would have made more sense that after Jesus died to appoint Jesus' brother James as the Messiah than the claim that Jesus himself rose from the dead. The reason why I'm bringing these things up is because I need you to understand that the empty tomb actually challenges your assumptions about the past. These people aren't stupid. These stories aren't made up. And even though Jesus claimed he would rise from the dead, no one expected Jesus to rise from the dead. They're going to anoint a body. You don't anoint People who are alive, you anoint people who you think are dead. And that's why Mark 16 ends with verse 8 to highlight the shock of what happened. No one expected Jesus to rise from the dead, so it freaked the women out. And that day, and even the days following, can't be explained unless the tomb was empty. So you know in 1 Corinthians 15 is one of the earliest books of the Bible, books of the New Testament, Paul says that over 500 people saw Jesus physically resurrected. 500 people. Today, if you want to convict somebody of a crime, you only really need one witness. This is 500 people, right? So, and P Paul says, hey, Peter saw Jesus. I even saw Jesus. And if you don't believe us, 500 other people saw him too. Many of them are still alive. Go ask them yourselves. 
And what also what's remarkable is that Jesus' disciples go from being afraid of losing their lives in the Gospels to being motivated to spread the good news of the resurrected Jesus at the risk of losing their lives in the rest of the New Testament. You don't literally put your neck on the line for a lie, for something you made up, for something that might have been a ghost or a hallucination. And there's always the historical aspect of the fact that like in the first three centuries, after Jesus rose from dead, Christianity grew rapidly to roughly 30 million followers. Something happened that day. Something happened that Sunday morning to create this ripple effect. Jesus must have risen from the dead. Nothing else makes sense. And like I said, many of you, some of you may have doubts about the resurrection. You're in good company. But what's the truth? We want the truth, right? Here's some evidence. And honestly, there's more evidence, and it's overwhelming that the tomb was empty and Jesus is alive. But that's all great, right? That's awesome in the past. But what does that mean for us today? Look at verse 7. The angel says, But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you to Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Jesus' resurrection should change how we live today. Have you ever seen the movie 50 First Dates with Adam Sandler and Drew Barrymore? Henry Roth, who is played by Adam Sandler, lives in Hawaii, and he falls in love with Lucy, who's played by Drew Barrymore. And the only problem is that Lucy suffers from short-term memory loss and forgets who Henry is every morning. So what Henry has to do is he has to show Lucy a video every morning when she wakes up to prove that they're in love and married. He shows her past evidence that changes her life in the present. The past evidence of Jesus' resurrection should change our lives in the present. And let me tell you how. Jesus, through the angel, says, tell my disciples to meet me in Galilee, and that's the place where it all began. Jesus is inviting us, inviting his disciples, let's start with them, to start again. His disciples abandoned him when he needed them most. But instead of holding it against them, what does Jesus do? Because he loves them, he invites them to start again. See, there's an invitation here for all of us to start again. Even if you've been a follower of Jesus for years now, because he loves you, Jesus invites you, start again. Maybe something hard happened in your life, and you thought he abandoned you. He says to you, come and meet me, start again. Maybe you've been fighting with the same sin over and over and over again, and you think now that you're unlovable and God could never love me. Jesus says, come to me, meet me. Start again. But did you notice in the passage who the angel mentions by name? Peter. The Gospel of Mark is written by Mark, and they believe he got his material from Peter. And the last time we hear about Peter and Mark, he denied Jesus three times. But Jesus knew Peter needed particular attention from him. He doesn't mention anybody else, but he mentions Peter. He knew Peter needed particular attention from him. 
some of us need particular attention from Jesus. Some of us have denied Jesus. Some of us live our lives as if he didn't rise from the dead. Some of us can't get past what he asks of us. Some of us are suffering pain or sickness. And some of us, like Peter, may be hiding from him because we're filled with shame. And Jesus says, come, meet me. Meet me as you worship me in church. Meet me as you hear God's word preached. Meet me as you take communion or meet me as you get baptized in my name. Come and meet me. Jesus calls all of us, but perhaps today he's mentioning you by name. Tell Peter. Tell Evan. Tell, insert your name. The empty tomb should change us. If Jesus rose from the dead and we do nothing with that, that's a problem. It's not a problem for Jesus that you've been a certain way up to this point. He can work with that. It's a problem if we leave here today unchanged. If we see the empty tomb and hear Jesus calling us out to meet him and start again, but we remain the same, that's a problem. If you're stubborn and your stubbornness isn't harnessed and turned into conviction by Jesus and for Jesus, that's a problem. Stubbornness is a problem, but conviction about who Jesus is and what he's done and it can be turned into a desire to tell others about him. That's what Jesus wants for you. He doesn't want you to be stubborn. He wants you to be a person of conviction. Maybe you feel like you're beyond redemption. And that doesn't, doesn't turn you into embracing forgiveness. But in light of the resurrection, that's a problem. If you feel like you're beyond redemption and God offers you forgiveness and you know that Jesus rose from the dead, it's a problem if you don't receive it. Receive Jesus' forgiveness. Receive God's forgiveness and go tell other people about that forgiveness. Be a forgiving person yourself. Be willing to accept forgiveness from others and ask for it from them. Or if you're selfish and life doesn't reflect, your life doesn't reflect the selflessness of Jesus moving forward, that's a problem. Jesus invites you to be selfless, to serve others, serve your family, serve your church, serve your friends, serve your neighbors with small acts of kindness. Or if you're complacent because you've heard this story a thousand times and you leave today unmotivated by it, that's a problem. Start again. Be motivated to make the changes necessary to follow Jesus. The things like making church a priority or being a generous person or reading your Bible daily. The empty tomb should change your life and how you live it now. And the empty tomb, lastly, should, the empty tomb forever. Look at verse 8. And they went out and fled from the tomb for trembling astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone for they were afraid. Jesus' resurrection gives us hope for our future as well. All the, the best manuscripts, Mark ends at verse 8. There's other Bibles that have like verses 9 through 20. They're probably like, they, they might be true, they might not be, but they come from later manuscripts. We're not really sure. Mark ends at verse 8. 
And there's all this discussion, did, Mark, did we lose the end of Mark? And a lot of people believe that, but I actually think that Mark like, ends right here intentionally. Mark tells us that the women immediately told no one. They're shocked by the resurrection. It created this reverberation, this ripple effect in their lives. They don't know what to do with it. It's like an earthquake just hit them. And they don't know what to do. But we do know, eventually, they did tell other people. They did tell the apostles. They did go to Peter. And Christianity spread rapidly. But then the New Testament says, this thing, this thing that happened that Sunday morning, created such a ripple effect. It created such a reverberation across the whole cosmos that what happened to Jesus in the middle of history will happen to all of us who put our faith in him. And it will happen to our world at the end of history. One day, Jesus will return. And the Bible says he'll resurrect all those in Christ who have died. And even resurrect all of creation where death, sin, suffering will be no more. See, death may surround us now, but then it will be completely gone. Sin may be a struggle for you now, but then you won't even be tempted. And you may be going through difficulty now, but then not a tear will fall from your eyes. Because Jesus conquered death in the past in his resurrection. And because he'll wipe away death and all of its effects in the future for those who put their faith in him. It changes us. It changes us. It changes our world. See, we know the end of the story. You can read the end of Revelation. You can read 1 Corinthians 15 and Romans 8, and it will tell you the end of the story. It will tell you how things are going to go, where Jesus is going to come back and he's going to fix all this. And knowing the end of the story should also change our lives now. Like once you found out that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father in Star Wars, like if you didn't know that, that's, that's on you at this point. It's not a spoiler alert. You should have known that by now. You can get me on the 51st Dates thing, but don't, you can't get me on the Star Wars thing. But, like, once you realize that Darth Vader is Luke Skywalker's father, all the scenes before and after come into this new light. You see why Luke lives with his aunt and uncle. You understand why Luke and Leia have a connection. It, it also makes their connection so much weirder. But anyway, that's a whole other thing from discussion for another day. If you don't know why that's weird, it's weird. But you start to see why they have a certain connection. And you understand Luke's desire to bring Darth Vader from the dark side in, into the light in the scenes that come after that. Once you know this kind of like this surprise part of the story, everything else makes sense. So when you embrace the past and future of the res resurrection for yourself, everything comes into a new light. Your past comes into a new light. Nothing you've done keeps you from receiving God's forgiveness. Nothing. Jesus rescued murderers. He rescued people who betrayed him and denied him and turned from him. And all through the course of history of Christianity, you can see time and time again, Jesus rescuing people you might think could never be redeemed and never be forgiven. And there's no hope for them. But Jesus got a hold of their lives. And he died for their sins and he rose again. And your future comes into a new light. You see, you have a purpose to live for Jesus and to be part of his family in a local church like this one and tell others about the empty tomb. And you have a global family who are 
today all celebrating the same thing and who are just moving through the world to tell the world about him. But then also your present comes into the light, into a new light. For instance, you see what Romans 8 says is true, that God is working out everything, even your present difficulties, for your good, for those who love God and called according to his purpose. And he's making you like Jesus. And what we'll also do then is we'll not only embrace it for ourselves, but also for our world. God in Jesus loves the world. And he'll fix everything about it. God will destroy sin, suffering, and death when Jesus returns. But we get to be part of providing a glimpse of that future, that future resurrection now. Such as things like caring for our neighbors with an Easter egg hunt. Some, we'll have some pictures on the screen here. Yesterday, we had 436 people come to our Easter egg hunt. We gave out f- over 4,000 eggs. We gave out 100 food boxes. And props to the events team for pulling it off. Great work. It was awesome. But listen, you know who's had a rough past few years? Kids. If the resurrection matters to us and it's gonna, things are going to change in the future, caring for these kids, that's showing them the resurrection. Is that one day this is what's going to be, joy and happiness and maybe Easter eggs, I'm not sure. So my challenge to you is don't let Easter roll by without seeing the empty tomb for all it is. If you're a Christian and been for some time, listen, don't be complacent. Let this change you and motivate you. Let Easter 2023 be the day where you can look back on the timeline of your life and go, something was different on that day. Changed me. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, let that also be Easter 2023, the day I started. For some of us, it's starting again, and some of us, is starting for the first time. And for some of us, Jesus is calling us by name now to meet him. But believe in Jesus' resurrection in the past. Believe it happened. It really did. And let that change your life now. And I pray that you'll be filled with hope forever because of it.